It's me, isn't it? <laughs> this is a brilliant beginning. Welcome to episode 128 of uh, In the Midford Podcast, while children scream uh, outside Cal's window. Yeah. Uh, I'm Peter Shepherd, along with... Uh, Callum Reid. Yes. And um, how was your Christmas? Um, less boozy than usual, actually. What? How come? Because I had to drive. So <laughs> my dad wasn't staying. <laughs> Although I could... I still... It, the bed was made up, but I thought, no. No, I'll uh, I'll go back. Yeah. On my Jean Todd. <gasps> on Christmas. <gasps> so New Year, you're gonna have to make up for it then. Uh, well, I don't can't really afford to. First of all, problems, <laughs> mortgage payments. <laughs> <laughs> oh well, I've just clambered off my deathbed to uh, record the podcast. Mm. It's been a fortnight absence. Um, yeah, not really because we couldn't be asked last week. Although we couldn't be asked last week, we, we couldn't be asked to see Dumb and Dumber Two. <laughs> that was it. That was the only film that was out. And then we would have had to watch like Men, Women, and Children, which nobody wants to do. Clearly, not even with Judy Greer involved. No, no. Okay, so have you got any news of a non-film description? Non-film description. Um, not really. No. Sport, really. do we want to talk about sport? Um, Alan Pardews. Has he gone? <laughs> He's going. Um, it's, rid- it's ridiculous when, you know, when, as a manager in the Premier League, ever had such uh, faith from a chairman and then just completely throwing it back in his face. Yeah, but, I th- well, it, he's probably had to contend with a lot from that chairman and mm. the chairman seems happy to let him go because well, he's yeah, going to get the compensation. And he's got a stupid contract with him. Yeah. That's, and also, the chairman doesn't really care because he wants to buy Rangers. So. Mm. Does he? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Oh, big time. Yeah, he's already making moves. He's already got a couple of people on the board, which is technically illegal. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, all right. So, news today uh, from the last two weeks. There's been a death, actually, today. Really? Louise Rayner has died. Ooh. Aged 104. Yes, yes, yes. Back-to-back winner, Louise Rayner. Yeah, um, for The Great Siegfeld. And, and The Good Earth. Yeah. And uh, The Good Earth is a bit of an art carny when you look back at it, um, because she was up against everybody who never won. <laughs> Irene Dunn. Uh, the best people who never won, Dunn, Stanwyck and Garbo, and then uh, Gaynor as well. Janet Gaynor. Yeah, all legends. Oh, but Louise Rayner. Giving wonderful performances. But she, Louise Rayner is very good in The Good Earth. Um, I haven't seen uh, Ziegfeld. It's, it's not, it's not, yeah, the, the film's, she's one of the best things about the film, um, but the film is pretty dreary. Yeah. But she I didn't really do a lot after that. She went and retired. No, but do you think it was, um, do you think her winter was a result of just the block vote for MGM? Possibly, yeah. Because it, it came out in February or something, I think. Really? Or March, the, the film, The Good Earth, so maybe it was an MGM thing. Yeah. 
Um, and also, when you got all the others, maybe it's just a split vote thing. When you got people who, I mean, I literally, literally could not care less out of those four women who'd have won. Yeah, just not <laughs> Reina. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yeah, so she's the last. Uh, she was the last surviving Oscar winner from the 1930s. Yes. So, yeah. 104 though. Eli Wallach. What Eli Wallach in the holiday? <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, next. Oh, I saw. I saw something on um, Facebook describing the holiday as. Uh, I'll see if I can actually find it quickly enough. <laughs> <laughs> it was only on the other day, and. Um, I should go to find the person who uh, put it up and get it on their uh, Facebook. Yes, it describes the holiday as. Oh damn! Where are we? I was actually watching that the other day. Really? It's quite. I don't know. It's quite a cozy little film. Yeah, basically, it described the holiday. The the thing that on, was on the post. It's because she this girl I know has liked it, so you can't um, go on. It won't. It's not on her feed. Uh, basically, says that it's a overwhelming. It's an overwhelmingly powerful story of uh, how uh, you fi- you uh, find the answer to depression and sadness and uh, in the arms of Mega Babe Jude Law, <laughs> 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 which is funny. But really, I mean, my immediate <laughs> response when I was talking to my brother about this, I said, "Or oh, being more cynical, it means that if you're outrageously fit, then you can have Jude Law. If you're not outrageously fit, then you've got to settle for Jack Black." <laughs> That is not the greatest subtext for that film. But it's like there's a line where I think it's like Cameron Diaz says, I'm an advertisement ex- executive from New York. You're a book publisher from London. <laughs> yeah. How is this going to work? Christopher Nolan. There's <laughs> <laughs> just so much subtext on the show there. By the way, Cal, you do realise it sounds like you're recording this podcast from the set of The Woodsman. The Crash. <laughs> We'll cut it out. <laughs> That's fine. <laughs> oh, God. Oh, dear. Okay, next. Oh, no, I'll do a few more. I've got a few more I can do. Th- I'll just add it in every 10 minutes. Okay. <laughs> um, next bit of news. Tim Burton and Helena Bonham Carter have split up. I saw that. The WAGS line was, um, uh, who gets custody of Johnny Depp, wasn't it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but they weren't married. They didn't even live in the same house, I don't well, think. They, they basically had two semis. Um, and, uh, <laughs> they did. They had two semis, and they put like a door between the two. But technically, it was two houses. It doesn't sound like a bad arrangement. <laughs> <laughs> no. Um, it's all very, um, it's all very Abbey Cornish and Ben Wishaw. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe this will force Helena to branch out a little bit and take on some less cartoonish roles. What, like Meryl Streep and Into the Woods. <laughs> Helena could have done that yes absolutely uh, okay right last bit of news we have the foreign language Oscar shortlist was announced the nine, the nine. yeah yep. I don't know why it's nine uh, random We, but we usually bitch about this because of the issues that have arisen with festival films becoming yeah a lot we more go on about, we go on about this all the time yeah so this year, there has been a few surprises in the list. Right. So we're going to go through alphabetical order by country. Yeah. Starts with Argentina. The film is called Wild Tales. Mm. Does it star Ricardo Darín? It stars Ricardo Darín. <laughs> what a shock. And it's um, it's sort of an anthology film. It's a dark comedy. And it's mm. got like a series of, um, you know, 20 minute 
or 15, 20 minute um, stories. Right, director or is it multiple directors? Uh, the director is Damien Sifron. Right. Okay. Um, yeah. So there's there's a lot of um, a lot of good word about that one, and it's quite interesting to have a, a comedy, a black comedy. That's in there. obviously a uh, pick from the actual people who went to see the films. They haven't added that after the fact, surely. Well, it was at Cannes. Yeah. But, yeah, I don't know. We could speculate look- at the end mm. of the nine. But Next, we have Tangerines from Estonia. Ooh, oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so Estonia, not probably not been nominated before. I can't think one off the top of my head. Yeah. Um, this is about... It's set in Georgia, and it's about a guy who... Has stayed behind. Who's, who's, who overcomes blindness and becomes a world, world-renowned star in the 1960s. <laughs> <laughs> this, it's about... this, is the, this is what happens when we do the podcasts over. Because <laughs> we're recording this at like, lunchtime. We couldn't have been much drunker than last last time's bloody oh, effort. Yeah. Uh, right. Um, yeah, so it's set in the war, but the guy... Uh, instead of fleeing Georgia, he stayed behind to harvest his crop of tangerines. Right, as you do. <laughs> as you do. It's all about the, the oranges. Yeah. Uh, so this got the Golden Globe nomination as well. Right. Looks like potentially Beatty set up with the war yeah. backdrop. Mm. So we'll see. Yes. Next we have Corn Island, which is the Georgian entry. Great for going for the Baltic states. <laughs> it's like Eurovision. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, so Corn Island, which is about... You can tell I'm looking this up now. Yeah. Um, which is about a, a river is created <laughs> and destroyed in an eternal cycle that even man cannot escape. <laughs> so it's sort of... I think it's about, like... I don't know, rivers taking over the land and... Um, Good Lord. Yeah, flooding we're to, and... We're back to Sven Nyquist and the ox. <laughs> What's that? <laughs> it's just a, some gritty, grim film about peasants. Yeah, it does seem quite grim so far, actually. <laughs> uh, next is Timbuktu from the country of Mauritania. Wow! <laughs> Definitely, I think this is their first entry. Yeah, and this it, isn't gonna, this isn't going to be added, is it? <laughs> I wouldn't have thought so. This is a look at the brief occupation of Timbuktu by militant Islamic rebels. Oh, okay, so topical, interesting. And it's directed by Sisako, who did Bamako, I think. Yeah, 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 yeah. So yeah, he's got pedigree. Mm. Next, we have Accused from the Netherlands. Oh, Holland. Which was, is also titled Lucia de B. Mm. And I think it's about a woman who's arrested um, for... It's a psychological thriller about a nurse sentenced to life imprisonment for allegedly having killed at least seven people. Hmm. Anyone we know? Barry Atzma, who is in it, who... Um, was great in that Karis Van Houten cancer film. Right, right, right. Uh, Amanda Ooms? No. Oh. And it's directed by a woman, Paula, Paula Van der 
post. Right. Next, we have Ida from Poland. Okay, well, if it wasn't there anyway, it will have been added. Yeah, agree. It could have been there anyway. We don't it know. could have been there anyway, but... Mm. Which is about the nun with the crisis of faith. The nun's and story. And sexuality. <laughs> Indeed. You need to say that. I do. Uh, uh, next, we have Leviathan from Russia. Again, if it wasn't added, it would have been. I think that might have been added, but mm. yeah. Uh, which is another grim one. Yeah, because uh, the return they didn't go for, but then again, they didn't go. 2003 was ridiculous. Utterly ridiculous, the films they didn't go for. I think they went for something like um, uh, the Swedish film. Um, uh, uh, then they had. Um, they didn't go for. Bon Voyage, the French one, they didn't go for a Goodbye Lenin, they didn't go for Infernal Affairs, they didn't go for The Return, they didn't go for Reconstruction, they didn't go for The Story of the Weeping Camel, it's ridiculous the ones they didn't go for, but they went for stuff like um, um, God, it's so bland, I can't even remember. Is it Barbarian Invasion? <laughs> yeah, Barbarian Invasion's one, uh, there was a Czech one, which is very, very good actually, Zellery. Uh, the woman in it, Anna Geislerova, is marvellous. It is online. Uh, check that one out if you fancy something classy and... Uh... Foreign. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, right. Um, so next we have Force Majeure from Sweden, right. which I've seen. Mm-hmm. It's now online. Yeah. It's very good. Another um, one they would have added if they didn't. Uh, that's the third one they wouldn't have, would have added if they didn't have it already. Yes. Yeah. And um, it's about a family who go to a ski resort and um, the father... Basically, there's an avalanche. They think it's an avalanche, but it's not. It's like a controlled explosion. The father's... Well, I remember, yeah, I remember you saying about this, yes. Yeah, I think Irini... Yeah. Irini yeah. reviewed it from Thessaloniki, I think. Right. But um, the father basically runs away, takes his phone and his gloves and, you know, hightails it and leaves the kids and the mother there. <laughs> And it's kind of a weird comedy as well, but it's it's really it's really funny, and um, yeah. And the last film on the list is The Liberator from Venezuela, right? Uh, which, assuming, is about a liberator. <laughs> Libertador is the official oh, title. Yeah, yeah. It's about Simon Bolivar who um, fought over 100 battles against the Spanish Empire in South America. Hmm. So that's a little historical effort there, yeah. and it stars Edgar Ramirez. Right, decent actor. Yeah. Well, I would I would be worried, therefore, if I was a fan of some of a film like Ida or Leviathan, thinking, oh, great, they got nominated because it, they've got on the shortlist because they could very easily get pushed through by New York and then not actually have a hope. When it comes to the final thing. Yeah, but it's interesting that there there are only four... Well, maybe, yeah, there are probably only four high-profile ones on that list. I reckon at least... Uh, well, at least two of them will miss out. Yeah. But The Liberator seems a bit commercial. Mm. For, um, for that category, but you never know. Yeah. Twin Sisters, that was nominated in 2003. <laughs> Dutch film with... Um... <laughs> <laughs> oh god, the woman from uh, In Bruges. Uh, not the one of the uh, whores that Peter Dinklage was there uh, with. The uh, hotelier. Thekla Royton. <laughs> <laughs> so what, how do you think people are voting on this category? Do you think anybody's voting for the country rather than the film? 
I think nobody's voting for the country rather than film, but I do think that certain um, countries, uh, just general sensibilities, appeal uh, to uh, that demographic more than others. So, if Israel's done very well over the last 10 years, uh, Italy does well uh, traditionally, as does France, Sweden, yeah. uh, France, Sweden, Germany. Um, I think if you had a load of like, a couple, like if you had the Mauritanian film get through and you had the, the Georgian and the Estonian one get through and then you had a Swedish film and say Leviathan I reckon Force Majeure wins that just because of um, it, the accessibility but the Europeanness as well you think, yeah maybe. And, uh, the Western European the familiarity as well it's, it's... yeah okay should we get into preconceptions Yes, uh, this week we have Big Eyes, Exodus, Gods and Kings, Unbroken, <laughs> G- Jimmy, All Is By My Side, and Still Alice, which isn't out this week, but we're doing it because we realise that um, it's coming out after the Oscars and we want to be able to talk about it. And we need but to before, talk about Julianne. Yeah, beforehand, for, for our award season, we can't just leave it, so yeah. we'll do it now. Okay. Alright, so preconceptions for Big Eyes. <laughs> Big Eyes, I knew virtually nothing about it. Um, I knew it was about Amy playing an artist and I knew eventually that it was a Tim Burton film I only knew about two days before that it was a Tim Burton film and I think I knew Christoph Waltz was in it but Tim Burton, big 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 plus in general although he has been a bit more hit and miss over the, the latter half of his career than the first ten years of it Yeah. Um, Amy Adams, wonderful one of my favourite actresses, marvellous, perfect and um, Waltz, I like it in general I think he's a very charming guy so uh, I was looking forward to it okay um, I knew the story. Well, I'd seen the trailer, which gave mm. quite a lot away. Um, really? But I did think that it was an interesting story about, you know, artist fraud. Um, right. Amy is obviously positive and thinks she's In life, really, in general. Yeah. And I do think she's been showing a lot of variety as well lately, um, mm. which is great to see. Waltz, I think he was great in um, his two Oscar wins. Yes. So, yeah, I was, mm. you know, expecting a, a good time. Yeah. Uh, Exodus Gods and Kings, you snubbed, I take I it. I snubbed. It's very long. Uh, it is long. It's like two and a half hours. <laughs> and I didn't, I mean, Ridley Scott, I, I actually really liked The Counselor, so I'm quite high on him at the moment. Mm. Uh, but I didn't, I'm not a big fan of Gladiator. Yeah. Which is him doing swords and sandals. So him doing Kingdom, Kingdom of Heaven. No, dull <laughs> as anything. <sighs> so him doing swords and sandals again. It was not exactly enticing. Yes. And the cast wasn't really very enticing. No. Uh, for me, um, Joel Egerton, I think's all right. Um, I quite liked him in Warrior. Um, that's probably the standout one for me. Uh, I, I see him in um, Bale. I'm not a fan of, but I don't dis. I don't actively dislike him. I do think uh, he's good in certain things. I loved him in uh, the Zhang Yimou one, uh, Flowers of War. Uh, I liked him in um, uh, Rescue Dawn. I do think he can go, but I think he needs a director who can hold, who can rein him in. And I thought that um, Ridley Scott could be that director. Okay. Ridley, Ridley Scott, in general, I like. Uh, I did like Gladiator. I wasn't that keen on um, Kingdom of Heaven, so I was really hoping that it was more Gladiator than Kingdom of Heaven this time around. And uh, for the rest of the cast, I didn't really know anything. Okay. We might get on to Rescue Dawn later. Really? <laughs> <laughs> oh, of course, yes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Unbroken. Uh, why didn't you see this? 
I was seeing I had a lot of other stuff on, and yeah. um, for, for once, I've actually seen quite a few films. <laughs> <laughs> and um, of the, of, I didn't really know anything about the story, and uh, so it was the least. Uh, and um, given the choice between that and Exodus, the director got me into Exodus. Given the choice between that and Big Eyes, Amy got me in rather than that. So it was uh, that. It was nothing against it, but it looked like. Um, <sighs> My preconception was it looked a little bit cheesy from the trailer, and I was worried about Angelina ha- handling the tone in general. That was my preconception. Okay. If, so I'll did ask you, you about that later. Did you see her first film? Uh, no. No. Uh, Land of Milk and Honey and Bread and uh, <laughs> Arbeit's Mac Fry. <laughs> <laughs> well, I didn't see it either, so I didn't really have any preconceptions about her as a director. Yeah. Um, and her as an actress opinions about that don't really come into it no. um o'connell though obviously huge plus i think he's great in everything yeah. although he's rough around the edges in everything yeah. that he plays so he was gonna have to soften himself up for this which wasn't a concern but i was wondering how he was going to do that yeah um the story i didn't really know much about the story actually uh mm. or i didn't know much about Zamperini's achievements. I knew he was an Olympic athlete, but I didn't know what in. Mm. Um, so I thought the trailer was a bit self serious. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and you can say the word pretentious. Yeah, pretentious. Okay. <laughs> so I yeah, I was kind of mixed going into it. Mm. Okay. Uh, I saw uh, Jimmy All Is By My Side. It just happened to be out. Uh, Love Jimi Hendrix. I was a little bit worried about uh, the guy from Outcast playing him. But I knew that uh, The Poot and and Hayley Atwell were in it. Uh, Both of whom, not exceptional pluses, but they're certainly not negatives. Um, So given the... um, Given that it was on and the sound on the uh, on the online version was horrendous and it's a it's a music film, you, I, I went to the cinema to see it. Okay, still Alice mm. preconceptions. Uh, okay, uh, preconception was obviously the excellent word on Julianne, um, so I was expecting an excellent performance from her. I, I usually do anyway, but particularly on this one, I knew it was about uh, early onset Alzheimer's, which gives me a preconception to do with. Uh, films like Iris and uh, which, with Judy Dench, although that wasn't early onset, that was an Alzheimer's film. Yeah, uh, mm-hmm. I, I think. Uh, then uh, something like uh, Souvenir de Belle Shows, the um, Isabel Carré film, that was about early onset, uh, and it just lends itself to that. Was what I don't give it the win in 2002, but it's an exceptional year, and I certainly nominate her easily. Um, so I realise it's a subject that uh, uh, lends itself to it. I was hoping it wasn't. It was going to be more than the performance piece. Uh, but wasn't holding out much hope for that, okay. given the, the directors uh, didn't have the greatest of CVs. Yeah, okay. Uh, yeah, I knew... I mean, I was expecting it to be a vehicle for her, mm. and um, I knew the, the topic. I don't have much experience of the topic Alzheimer's. That's not a part of our, uh, my family. No. Thank God. No, me neither. Um, but when I was watching it, I'll leave it... I'll leave this to the preconceptions... When I, what I watched it on the train, mm. uh, coming up from London, and I got talking. I'd just finished watching it, and um, the woman opposite me on the table asked me what I was watching. I was told she her, French and blonde? <laughs> no, 
<laughs> asked me what I was watching and I said and it turned out that her sister had it um, was diagnosed with it in her 50s and um, was now in a, a hospice and was only oh 60 god. so oh god so kind of yeah I guess it is more <laughs> widespread than you think so you should have just lied and said you were watching Transformers 4 <laughs> Because then she'd just think, what an asshole. Not yeah. <laughs> she'd just think I was an artistic heathen. But <laughs> you like Michael Bay. <laughs> yeah. Right. Okay. So, uh, oh, big eyes. Right. Okay. Um, I've got to do three others. Shall I do stars or shall I do big eyes? I'll do still eyes. Okay. Right. Big eyes is set in the 1950s. We see... Uh, Amy Adams leaving her husband. Uh, the delightfully intermittent voiceover informs us that this wasn't the, the done thing. <laughs> oh God, I forgot about that. And um, actually, she... I've got a. Uh, there's a contentious issue here. I just want to bring up <laughs> Wikipedia. Not that Wikipedia is the be all and end all. Yeah. But it states that Margaret Keane only had two husbands, and that her first husband was Walter Keane. Right. Okay. But then. I don't understand why she would... Surely she wouldn't be, you know, unmarried and have a kid, would she? I don't know. Well... I, I might know. have a quick I might have a quick well, in, research. In, in the most Leslie Caron L-shaped room of words. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, she uh, decides to pack off with her daughter to San Francisco and uh, uh, join her mate Kristen Ritter on the burgeoning art scene. Uh, whilst, do, whilst doing uh, whilst doing portraits uh, selling portraits for a dollar she runs into a man called Walter Keane he's played by Christoph Waltz who tells her that she's really good and that she's selling herself too uh, uh, short they begin a relationship uh, start up a, a gallery together and when uh, his work is not t- t- taking off and the only interest is coming in hers he starts to take credit for her work and then the lie becomes so big as big as the eyes. So big. <laughs> <laughs> Will that do? That'll do, yeah. Yeah. Um, so we start off with that voiceover. I mean, it's just the it's dictionary awful. definition of how not to do a voiceover. I mean, aside from the very fact that you've got Danny Houston doing it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but it comes, it's in the first five minutes and then it turns up again after about yeah. 40. <laughs> Um, but I think it's... If we talk about the score as well, it seems like the film's trying to have this breezy um, tone to it. Yeah, it, very un, un burton esque Danny Elfman score. It's a bit more... It's going <laughs> to go for more. Yeah. Um, there, there are no choirs. <laughs> <laughs> but it's... I don't know. I think... I mean, it, the film is quite light in general, even though yes. it's a serious topic. Um and I just the problem I have a lot of problems with the film really but one of them is that it just a lot of it seems pretty forced at the beginning um the the first scene with Kristen Ritter is just so unconvincing really where she meets Kristen Ritter and well you know what's unconvincing what the the blonde wig (laughs) oh god (laughs) I mean for god's sake (laughs) It's very Pfeiffer in Love Field. Oh, it's, yeah. Oh, God. Let's not go there. <laughs> but I just felt like 
her uh, friendship with Kristen Ritter didn't seem real. Um, when she Kristen, Kristen Ritter looked like she just walked out of that vampire film. Vamps, <laughs> yeah. Oh, absolute classic. She Look. looks exactly the same. <laughs> what was she doing in broad daylight? <laughs> um, but I, d- I just didn't think that it set things up very well. No, it doesn't. But then again, I suppose it's supposed to show that she's not. Necess- she's not that independent a person. She doesn't have that much of a personality of herself, so she, she wouldn't necessarily be averse to having somebody uh, overtake hers artistically. Um, I don't know. I think my... I did like this film. Um, I think I only liked it because of Amy, really. And I liked it because this is probably as close to Eastwood as Tim Burton will ever get, in that I think he just... I would never have guessed this this was a Tim Burton film. And it's just... He just disappears and just tries to be as invisible as possible and let this this story tell the work. To, uh, do the work for him, but I don't think this this necessarily merits it. I think this would have been actually a much more interesting film if it was more of a Tim Burton film. Yeah, yeah, it, it is. It is very much as if anybody could have directed it. Yeah, I mean, if you'd said directed by Clint Eastwood, you'd gone okay, mm, okay, well, a bit, bit quirky for him, but in terms of visually, you think okay. Yeah, Ron Howard. You think oh, it's not cheese as usual, but I mean, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Parts of it are cheesy. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, Christoph Waltz. Terrible. I thought he was Worst awful. performance I've ever seen from the man. He's just so bad. The worst phone calls seen since Kira in Seeking a Friend for the End of the World, <laughs> where he's sniggering about the posters. He's just suddenly ah! like... <laughs> I just, first I charged them this, and then I charged them that. <laughs> <laughs> God, no, he's so bad. I mean, I realised that the guy's supposed to be a con artist, so you, so as an actor, you're supposed to be playing it on at least a superficial level, but it is a relentlessly superficial performance, and uh, I think it just uh, is completely unbelievable. Every time I see every fr- him on every frame of the screen, it's just Christoph Waltz acting. Yeah. I didn't buy him as a character for a second, and I think it's um, such a huge, huge, huge step down for him. Uh, given how naturally charming he can be. And it, what's interesting is that there's Margaret Keane still alive. She's seen the film. Yeah. And it was like, oh, he just brought it all back. Of course. <laughs> but, um... <laughs> I mean, I'd, I thought Amy was... Um, I thought Amy was quite good, but underserved, I would say, by the character, because I don't think they really handle her... Just the logistics of her being hoodwinked in the first place, because yeah. you get the first time that he takes credit for her work. So don't she, do it again. Yeah, she says don't do it again, and then it's like the following instances, she kind of just accepts it, and she's just and got she, this. She backs off, and she doesn't say, "Oh, it's mine." Yeah. Well, why, why wouldn't you? <laughs> yeah, and she's just got this permanent look of sort of nervous horror at the whole thing. Yeah. Um. And it just it just needs more nuance there in her arc. Um, yeah, it, it's it's a performance of two halves, I think, um, and uh, you can see why she turned it down to begin with because she wasn't that um, enamoured with the with the character. Uh, oh, did yeah. she? I didn't know yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I think when she's just got to be Miss uh, sort of like deer in headlights, naive, uh, being 
oh, oh no, he's t- I'm doing all the work. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's very, it's, it's, she's okay, but then I think yeah, as soon as she starts, the character starts to get more assertive and, and starts to uh, get more control of uh, matters, I think she starts to get absolutely uh, a first-rate performance out of herself. And um, I just it's just a shame it takes that long. And it's, it's a script issue. Yeah. It's got to be a script issue. Yeah. Uh, because it is so, uh, I can't believe the guys who did Ed Wood did this. <laughs> I really can't. Yeah. But um, because that was such a, uh, the tone of that was so consistent, and the arcs with like him and Lugosi, with him and his career and everything. SJP. So it's, even. Yeah, it's just it's just brilliant, and with the relationships with all the different people. It was that was the a, a absolutely brilliant character piece on the page. But I mean, and, who who which characters are in this? Danny Houston. I mean, what can you do with him? What can you ever do with Danny Houston? Let him be sleazy. Exactly. <laughs> Which is why it worked in the Constant Garden because it's the first time you've seen him do it. And after that, it's just like, oh, that's your shtick. Okay, fine. Jog on. Um, I love the the courtroom. Um, if you eventually what happens with the courtroom? Yeah. I yeah. think I actually I love the fact that that actually happened. Yeah. I think that's really cool. <laughs> Although it's a pretty obvious way of getting down to it. Yeah, yeah. But um, I think by then, uh, when you get the whole world of like Waltz being uh, uh, in questioning himself, <laughs> it's um, I don't think it's I don't think it's quite got the the tone on that. I mean, it is funny. I did laugh, but um, it's uh, it's more the reactions to it rather than Waltz. It's like if if there's somebody better than Waltz in this film, you'd have at least a, a half a star to the quality of it all. I don't think it would address the wider issues of the film, but um, no. Yeah. Uh, okay. I'm going to give this a C. Right. Ooh, that's harsh for you. But it, it, it could be C+, plus, but I'm going to give it a C, because yeah. I just didn't buy a lot of it. Yeah, this is where I shock you, given what I've, given more of what I've just said. <laughs> I'm going to give this 7 out of 10. <laughs> well, you did say you liked it. Yeah, because uh, I do think Amy elevates it a lot. I think without her, this would be a very, very average film. I think uh, her performance in the second half of the film adds a whole star to the quality of the film. Mm. And with uh, it brings a lot of it. And all of its appeal uh, comes down to her. She does have a shot at a nomination. Yes, and um, we'll see whether I agree with that later on. Okay. We're, do- we're doing our uh, podcast 2014 awards, which isn't everything that's going to be out. It's everything we've seen on the podcast this year that we- that's new. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Oh, Exodus, Gods and Kings. Uh, I need a coffee before I do that. <laughs> okay. <laughs> we're keeping that in. <laughs> okay. All right. So have you got your coffee? <laughs> I do. I do. <laughs> right. So, uh, Exodus, Gods and Kings, or EGAC, as all the cool kids are calling it online. <laughs> I'm sure they're not calling it that I'm sure they're calling it a, well something less complimentary I've been um, hearing a lot of snig- Christoph Waltz style sniggers about this one actually really <laughs> right so Exodus Gods and Kings begins with uh, John Turturro being the pharaoh uh, of course <laughs> yeah that was convincing um <laughs> Christian Bale and uh, Joel Egerton is Ramses, Ramses is the uh, heir to the throne. Christian Bale is uh, a, a prince of Egypt who isn't uh, next in line. Him and Egerton are BFFs. Uh, they uh, uh, Bale goes and does all the stuff that Egerton doesn't want to. Turturro thinks that uh, Moses would be a much better, much better suited leader, but he, there's nothing you can do about it because he's not his bloodline. It's all very biblical. So 
Uh, Bale goes to uh, a city that were uh, sort out of problem. Uh, ben Mendelssohn's playing a very, 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 very camp viceroy who's uh, corrupt and living like a king. Uh, when Bale goes to speak to the uh, Hebrews uh, slaves to see who've been slaves for 400 years to see what their beef is, uh, Ben Kingsley uh, uh, starts and telling him to do to. Um, uh, you know, uh, steal some money off the Nazis, and oh wait, that's a Schindler's List. Um, <laughs> <different film>. uh, <laughs> Kingsley tells uh, Bale that he's actually uh, Hebrew, and uh, uh, he was left in the reeds as a child, which of course we know because we've read the book. Yeah, and <laughs> and <laughs> sorry, and uh, so then it's all that it follows the uh, the biblical story of Moses leading his people out of slavery. Which has never been told before. No. Well, th- this has been banned in Egypt. Be- really? Because they think it's inaccurate. It's. Oh, <laughs> I mean, for of God's course. Sake. I mean, of course, it's inaccurate. It didn't happen. Soz, <laughs> <laughs> <Sus>, guys. Ah, <laughs> uh, yeah. So, um, on this, I mean, when you look at the crew that Ridley Scott has assembled for this. Yeah, he's got. Uh, he's scrolling down, so I can actually list it off. He's got Alberto Iglesias doing the music. Nice. He's got Darius Volsky shooting it. He's the guy who did uh, Dark City, and he's been Tim Burton and Ridley Scott's cinematographer for the last few years. Uh, also did some of the parts of the Caribbean films, which look nice if nothing else. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> and so when when I, when I think of that, I mean that should be a really, really and it's a Ridley Scott film. Ridley Scott films are always gorgeous. Yeah. Big, uh, big budget? Yeah, it's going to be a huge budget. Uh, I have no idea what it is, but I mean, it looks huge. Look. But I just feel like it's just so vanilla. Everything about it is so vanilla, apart from the casting of the women who are just stunning. <laughs> <laughs> it's ridiculous. Who are the women? Uh, well, Gold Shifte Farahani. Um, oh from, wow! Uh, Body of Lies and the Patient. So he's used her before. Uh, Body of Lies, uh, really Scott film, and uh, the Patient Stone. She plays a uh, Ramesses' wife, and uh, then you got a woman called. He says scrolling. This up. cost 140 million. I would have said 160. I'm guessing. Okay. Uh, you also got Maria Valverde playing um, uh, uh, Christian Bale's wife. I mean, why the sod would you go back to Egypt? If you've been roaming the desert and you've lucked out by bumping into her, literally and and figuratively, oh my god, it makes no sense. She she was the uh, girl in Cracks a few years ago, the Spanish girl in Cracks. Okay, yeah, um, growing up nicely, um, and so it, it tries to, like Gladiator, make a sort of nuanced analysis of the political situation. But it's a Bible story <laughs> at the end of the day. Yeah. You don't need that. And that's not what you go for. And then it does go for... I think it t- tries to... like When it shows you like the scope of the city that he goes to where the slaves are being mistreated, I th- it just sort of now just smacks of like, of like the, the mines in uh, Lord the, the Hobbit and Lord of the Rings sort of thing. It's just... Uh, it doesn't even look real. It's like... It's, you're seeing it and just thinking, what am I... Sp-? It's supposed to be like horrible and... Uh, 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 and just uh, oh the horror! But I'm like, well, I don't even know what I'm looking at here. It's just that I know that it's I know it's supposed to be um, disgra- disgraceful because like the the music tells me that it should be, and it's really poorly lit. 
<laughs> I don't. I don't. I, 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 there's no emotional edge on it. Uh, I don't think. And so when you've got this political wrangling, which isn't that interesting, and then you've got the um, uh, the way it's being told, which is so underwhelming, coupled with then the sort of like um, uh, religious aspects of it, I don't think any of it meshes together at all. But it's still watchable in and of itself. Because Bale anchors it nicely. He doesn't have anything to do and he doesn't do anything to mess it up. Edgerton could have been a lot more crazy. And I'm glad he wasn't. Okay. Um, and, uh, but there's just, uh, and there are some nice touches here and there with, because Ridley Scott is an atheist. Uh, he's, is he? Know, yeah, I remember him slagging off religion when he did um, Kingdom of Heaven. Big time. So why would he do this? Well, look at um, the Passion of God Saint Matthew. I mean, because the the way that you do the greatest uh, film about Christ ever is if you are a, a gay atheist communist. <laughs> Thank you, Mister Pasolini. Yeah, but so I mean, if uh, uh, taking what's interesting about the film, uh, when Scorsese did the Last Temptation of Christ uh, and Jesus goes out into the wilderness, how does he talk to God? And he he did, he did it through the animals. So with this, it's Moses, it's the burning bush. And you have the burning bush, um, but then instead of just having the bush talking to him, uh, the burning bush to get his attention, and then there's a child. So uh, he's speaking to God, and God uh, he sees uh, God in the form of a child. And it's it's mildly interesting, um, the way that they do it, and it keeps coming back, and they keep on cutting out somebody else watching him to show that he's actually just talking to a rock. Which which is very the Iron Lady in that respect, and, and the guy never has a conversation with him. It's like, dude, you're talking to a rock. You're crazy. <laughs> that never happens. <laughs> I mean, are we, are we not gonna we trying to go for realism in the restaurant? Is no one gonna have that conversation with Chris? Chris, seriously, dude, stop smoking. <laughs> it's like Nora all over again. Yeah, but when, and so but when it gets to the parting of the Red Sea, I did really like how they do it. It's not a question of Charlton Heston shoving a staff in the ground and saying, <laughs> Although that had its moments. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's far less climactic than that in many ways. <laughs> but um, yeah, I did like how they literally did it. But it's just all very underwhelming. And it, and it, it, it is better than Noah. I mean, if you're comparing it to another biblical epic from this year, it is better than Noah because it is more even. Even though it doesn't tie everything together... It's not as um, schizophrenic with the sort of like cutbacks to the Garden of Eden and the sort of like doesn't know if it wants to be an action film or a um, or an art spiritual, film. yeah, yeah. But um, yeah, it's um, it's solid, solidly acted across the board. I don't think that I can't think of a, apart from Mendelssohn's the closest to it. I can't think of a bad performance in there. But um, I don't know. It's just all um, you do really wonder. What I mean, the script's been reworked over a couple of times. Steve Zalian had a go at it, going back to Schindler's List, and um, now out of cows and being Turner and Hooch. <laughs> <laughs> what can I say? <laughs> That's fine. Either that, or you've got, or your that is your um, text tone, and you're really, really popular at the moment. <laughs> <laughs> if only. <laughs> <laughs> who let the dogs out? <laughs> we could end on that. We're ending on who let the dogs out. <laughs> <laughs> oh god, I've no idea where I was, and I don't even think I need to go on anymore, do I? It's better than Noah. So does that mean you're giving it a seven? 
six. It's decent overall. It's decent, but it just I do wonder why it exists, kind of. Okay. Right. right. So tell me about Unbroken. Let me just pause and get yeah. rid of this dog. Cue <laughs> <laughs> <Shoot> the <a> shotgun. <laughs> If you didn't quite catch that, Cal was just uh, telling them to, can you shut the bloody dog up? It's <laughs> oh, alright, my dad's taking him out. Yeah, I know, um, we're keeping all of this, because he could just about hear you, and I've just been informing everyone what, what you said, and just ca- in case they couldn't quite hear it. <laughs> shut the bloody dog up! <laughs> <laughs> okay. So, so now Cal's being Joan Crawford. <laughs> <laughs> The wire hangers. Mm. Okay. Okay. It's time for Unbroken. This is a film by Angelina Jolie. And it's about the early life of Louis Zamperini, played by Jack O'Connell, who became a famous Olympic athlete. He was a 5,000 metre runner. Okay. Uh, Then he joined the Air Force in the war. And one day he's in a fighter plane uh, with his Air Force buddies. And their plane crash lands in the ocean. He ends up on a lifeboat with two of them for about three weeks. And they end up drifting into enemy Japanese territory where they are put into a prisoner of war camp. Right. So it's uh, Life of Pi meets the Deer Hunter. Meets Rescue Dawn. Yeah. (laughs) Um, So he's not exactly the luckiest of people. But um, it's, I mean, it's a great story. Mm. You know how the, how this has happened, and he survives the camp. Spoiler, um, mm. yeah. <laughs> but it's it's you know it's it's a kind of odd you know it's a really big story, audacious. But I the problem is, or the question is, does a great story necessarily make for a great film? Yeah. yeah. And in this you, case, you, I, you would suggest not. I would suggest not. Can I mean. I- Jump in and just give you a really quick, um, rele- relevant um, digression. Go for it. Chariots of Fire. The story of Eric Liddell. Do you know what happened to Eric Liddell after he won the gold? No. He. This, this is a brilliant, heartbreaking story. He ended up um, becoming a missionary, going over to uh, China or wherever it was. He got put in a prison of war camp. God. And the British government were trying to get him out. And he always, would say, when, when they said, okay, you can go, he said, no, take someone else, no, take someone else, no, take someone else. And he died in there, like, weeks or, like, a month before the end of the war. Oh, my God, that's awful. Yeah, exactly. And it's, it's an amazing story. So if you, if you told all the Chariots of Fire and then had part deux with that, that would be an incredible story. And you'd just think, what an, and you would think, what an absolute dude. That I mean, he's like, you know, it's kind of like John McCain. No, we're all going out. Um, but... That's not what... The, 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 when they were looking back on Eric Little's life, they realised what the story was. Yeah, maybe they'd think that that was too depressing. Yeah. Well, mm. Because this is... I mean, this is really... It's sort of like the first half of Unbroken is Chariots of Fire. Yeah. Not in terms of quality. Yeah. Um, just the essence of the competition and the inspirational um, elements of that. And the second half is the Prisoner of War camp. Yeah. And it's a bit of a slog. Merry Christmas, Mr. Robinson. Have you seen that that Bowie film? Is it? Yeah. Uh, Yeah. I haven't seen it, but... It's really... uh, It's hard going. 
it's good. It's good, but it's hard going. Yeah. Um, and because the thing is, because the story, it is so much about the story. There isn't a lot of room to explore the characters. Mm. So you get like a flashback of Zamperini's childhood, where he was, you know, he's ten-year-old kid, but he's smoking and fighting and drinking liquor, mm. um, and generally ashamed to his family, and you know they didn't know what to do with him. And then he becomes part of his brother's running team, which puts him on a different path, mm. which is all very good and well. But you never really understand why he was like that in the first place. Yeah, because it's, they don't make the effort. To it's make... not like yeah, it's not like something in Chariots of Fire where you got Abraham's with the anti-Semitism, which is just rife, and he he's just railing against it the whole time. And you, you, that's a very simple, easy uh, backdrop. Which then, when you take his character. Yeah. On top of that, how driven and ambitious he was, it's a it's a, it's a very interesting scenario. But then, I suppose uh, that helps because you're um, contrasting it with somebody else. Whereas if you only got the one guy in and broken, um, and they're not doing the detail in the background, yeah, and they don't really do enough with the brother either. Um, and it's just like you just don't know what he's rebelling against. That's yeah. just an issue for me. And I think they constantly try and make Zamperini just a product of his own achievements rather mm. than digging into him. Right. Um, so that's disappointing. Um, O'Connell is great. Yeah. But because he, it's sort of a bit like McAvoy in Atonement. Yeah. But he doesn't have as much of a character. Mm-hmm. So it's more like his general amiability is, is really good. And his embodiment and of the trauma, dignity uh, in the in the that. face of everything. Yes, exactly. Mm. That's what really comes across in the performance. Um, so he does really, really well. I'm actually surprised that he managed to get a lot of dignity because that's not his forte. Well, it, th- that just reminds me of something like um, Kate Beckinsale in Nothing But the Truth, where you would never have thought that she would have that sort of thing in her, but then in that film, she's the female living embodiment of uh, Greg Peck it's ridiculous I can't believe I can't I don't think anybody saw that film <laughs> no it's, they basically because um, she uh, got she was in the Oscar conversation <laughs> she was in the conversation but then the, the uh, they went back I think it was Bob Yarry films remember that he did like The Illusionist and um, I think he's one of the guys who did Crash and he came back with The Illusionist and a couple of other films but then it, it went under and so they had no money to uh, this the thing <laughs> Even stuff like Richard Jenkins in The Visitor, you only get the nomination if, if you've got somebody who's going to buy it for you. Yeah. Um, yeah, where was I? Um, yeah, so yeah. he's he's very he's got a lot of dignity, but he doesn't have enough of a character. The only real standout acting-wise is this unknown Japanese actor called Miyavi, mm. who plays the tyrannical prison warden. Mm-hmm. Um, he's called the bird <laughs> um, and he kind of tortures the prisoners you know, physically and mentally and you know the film kind of the writing does shortchange the character a little bit by basically spelling out that he's this rich kid who was rejected as a soldier and so found his way into being a warden Right. Um, but uh, this guy called Miyavi he really gives him a lot of sort of Whacking Phoenix and Gladiator style, fleshing like, him out in sen- a unusual of, way. Yeah, so he sort of got this infantile sense of entitlement to him, mm. um, which is actually really interesting. I actually thought he was 
really bad in his first scene, but then the longer it went, the more I kind of understood what he was trying to do as a character, and I think yeah. it works. So that that was um, that was probably one, the best thing about the film. Um, it's far too long. Or at least it doesn't have much variety in its second half to prevent it from becoming draggy and yeah. a bit of a slog. Um, but it's well made. Uh, Roger Deakins cinematography is awesome. very handsome. The art direction's good. Angelina's uh, visual approach is nice. Um, but the tone, which we were talking about earlier, mm. it's a bit too earnest. Right. And self-serious as it looks. Mm. So it was just a bit, it was just a bit too much of a somber, repetitive slog. Ultimately, even though I do think it has a lot, not a lot going for it, but enough going for it to exist. Mm. Mm. Great then. C plus. Mm-hmm. Right. So Jimmy, all is by my side, which I didn't actually realise the reviews were so relentlessly average of until I was like t- ten minutes away from actually seeing it. What are you going to see? Put it up. I just want to see how long it is. Oh, crap. 56% or whatever. (laughs) Mistake. (laughs) Alright, so uh, Jimmy Always by My Side starts uh, in 1967 with everybody waiting for um, uh, Jimmy to show up for a gig. Uh, It then cuts back to one year earlier where he's uh, found by Keith Richards' girlfriend, played by Imogen Poots. Uh, in a club in New York playing guitar for some random band uh, there's 20 people in the room it, nobody's paying any attention to him and she thinks he's like totes amaze balls uh, so <laughs> she um, uh, takes it upon herself to like try and like get uh, get him going in, in his career she gives him a guitar that Keith Richards had given to her and uh, she sets him up with the drummer from the animal uh, bassist from the animals who was uh who is going to try his hand at management and so it chronicles uh, how Hendrix uh, shifted over to London uh, and kickstarted his career there before going on to fame in the United States Wow, I totally didn't know that Keith no, Richards' I, I, girlfriend I didn't know that part of it I knew that he basically was nothing in America came over to London, it would just tore it up and then uh, uh, went back I did know that, but I had no idea. What, I mean, I came back in this, and I was like, "Well, I've got to do some research and see how much of this is true or not," because some of it really did, some of it really didn't ring true with me. Uh, there's one scene where uh, basically he's been. He, he, he have to, the first third of the film is him and Pooch trying to get him, trying to get him started, trying to get him set up. He comes over to London. He goes to uh, an Eric Clapton gig, and on the first uh, on the first night he's there. He pull he, he uh, ditches Poots and pulls Halley Atwell. I mean, why wouldn't you? <laughs> but it, it seemed a bit hard. But not that he was really together with Poots, but um, anyway. So uh, and then he's there. He's with her for the whole time. Uh, Atwell's playing this like foul-mouthed northern uh, classy lady, <laughs> not and <laughs> and that um, once and then suddenly out of nowhere, like he's, he's got goes to. His first recording day, he's only got a couple of hours. She t- bowls in there, ruins a the take, and uh, the manager like chews her out. And Jimmy doesn't say anything. He's, Jimmy's been like a very laid back character for the whole of the film, which which apparently Bowler County was. Then afterwards, she's like waiting for him, and she's like, "Well, why 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 did you let him speak to me that way?" And then he's like, "You messed up my take." And it just really didn't. It really seemed out of character. And then it gets into this horrendous story in the final third, where this uh, uh, woman, another group, he's trying to get together with. Um, uh, 
Hendrix trying to steal Hendrix from Atwell, and it's all very Yargo, Othello type thing, where mm. she's like um, putting the poison in both of their ears. So, so. And then out of nowhere, because um, it, it, like she's been like making him, trying to get him to think that she's um, uh, not all that, and she's been trying to get um, the, uh, Atwell to be a bit more uh, rebellious. He suddenly just takes the, he goes, goes, she's on the phone, and he walks over there, and he just picks up the phone and starts beating the crap out of her with the phone. And I'm thinking, hang on, this isn't get on up. <laughs> yeah, it's exactly the thing I thought. Of. Where has that come from? There's nothing. I mean, I'm honestly, well, seriously, if this isn't true, I'm going to be really, really pissed off. Well, what, uh, wasn't he on drugs though? He was on drugs, but apparently the woman who played the woman who was Hayley Atwell's character in real life has threatened to sue the film because it's com- because of that because she, it's portraying him as an abusive guy, and she said it was three uh, three happiest years of her life that she was with him. Oh my god! It's just ridiculous, and so. That is my problem with the film. It's just that it plays fast and loose with the truth, and it does so in really uninteresting ways. I mean, I don't. I mean, the abusive like rock and roll uh, bloke. I mean, that it's it makes you think. It lose you lose the character. Oh, seriously, Jimmy, really? Were you like that? It, it's like, oh God, did you have to be a wife beater? Uh, and he didn't. You, you didn't. You didn't have to do that because I mean, with certain people you do. If you ever did a, a, a biopic of George C. Scott, you're gonna have to show it because that was what the guy was like. But if it's not there, don't add that in to try and make him more in inverted commas interesting because well, it kills sla- the character. It's slander. Yeah, and that's why she wanted to sue. So I mean, that's the that's the really disappointing thing of it. Uh, the second uh, thing with it, which is m- not really disappointing because I didn't really care when I was watching it, but turns out they couldn't get they wonder why they couldn't get permission from the, Jimmy's estate to use his music uh, so they basically had him doing this I think this is why it's structured in the way it was the year where he made it big where he genuinely would have been doing a lot of covers of people like Howling Wolf and uh, uh, Bob Dylan and stuff like that when he was on stage uh, that was part of his live act um, there's, a, there's a few other just inaccuracies that I mean not because inaccuracies but it just doesn't make it interesting it's like Clapton loved Hendrix uh, of I've got his autobiography, and he, he just thought he was the he thought he was the best guitarist in the world. And they have this scene where um, he turns up and uh, he agrees to uh, jam with him. Hendrix um, gets about twenty seconds into his song, where he's like, playing amazingly, and the Clapton unplugs his guitar and walks off in a diva huff. I'm thinking that's not Clapton, and it's not actually that interesting. Either. And then the only thing it cuts to him afterwards is Jesus. Did he has to be? Is he really that good? You can if you had Clapton just saying, "Wow, man, you're amazing." Doesn't that actually show you more? about Hendrix, about how great he was. It wasn't that he was pissing people off at how good he was, that people, uh, tra- he transcended their egos because he was that brilliant. Yeah. That would be far more interesting. So I don't mind digress- digressing from the truth, uh, but you've got to have a, a dramatic reason to do it. And I think this film relentlessly fails in finding one. And when it does digress from the truth, it does so for the least interesting reasons. How is Andre? He's fine. Um, I was worried about this, but... It's kind of like uh, you can laugh. It's kind of like Nora Jones in My Blueberry Nights, in that <laughs> he just has to hold it together and uh, let everybody else around him play. But as long as they come to play, he's uh, then they're, they're going to be all right. And the women in this are fantastic. Oh, Atwell, wow. Atwell and Poots are great. Poots is brilliant. She just gets works on multiple levels. She's got soulfulness I haven't seen in her before. Uh, she has a lyric. Uh, there's a lyricism to her performance. It's uh, wonderful. Atwell is uh, fierce, but also when when it does get to the abuse uh, stuff, uh, the physical abuse stuff, uh, she acts it uh, fantastically. It's just a shame that she has to act it at all. 
I think she was doing fine up to that point anyway. But um, so when you've got two people um, working on that on that kind of a level around him, it, as long as long as he isn't actively bad like Rolls, <laughs> then you then you'll be fine. Uh, and yeah, yeah. So I, I I do think a lot of the appeal stems from liking the music. I think if I didn't like Hendrix's music or or, or that style of guitar playing, I think I would not actually like this film. I don't think this is a film that transcends um, taste. I don't think it's something like Walk the Line where you can not like Janet, Johnny Cash and actually enjoy the film. Okay. I think yeah, I think you'd have to at least like Hendrix's music to get something out of this. Alright. Mm. Red? Six out of ten. Decent Thanks. but very, very flawed, but has some major, major plus points. Good good start so far. Mm. Okay, so let's get on to Still Alice. Um the last film of the week. Mm-hmm. Uh which Stars Julianne Moore as doesn't it just Alice, <laughs> a university lecturer um, who has recently been having memory blanks and uh, various other mental inconsistencies. She goes to visit a doctor with her husband, who's played by Alec Baldwin, and she is diagnosed with a hereditary strain of early onset Alzheimer's. Mm-hmm. And the rest of the film charts. Julianne struggled to deal with the illness and the problems it causes for her son and two daughters, played by Kristen Stewart and Pete's favourite actress, Kate Bosworth. Kate Bosworth. The Orlando Bloom sons penis. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so what's this A.O. Scott review? Ah, uh, now, okay, so uh, we might need it a bit later. We might need it a bit later, but he, he said that the problem with this film was, I'll quote him, the problem is that the film, concentrating on the accurate portrayal of Alice's condition, leaves the other characters underdeveloped, and their social and domestic milieu, I hate that word, hastily sketched. The test of realism in a movie like this, the thing that would separate it from a conventional made-for-television disease melodrama, is whether you can imagine lives for the secondary characters when they aren't on the screen. I think you can. I certainly think you can imagine Kristen Stewart's life. Well, I think you can in this, but I don't think that actually is true. <laughs> because okay. I, mean, I, don't, I don't think he's, I don't think the criticism is actually true. Because I think you can, I think you can keep it just within two people. Uh, Cecilia de Bell shows the whole point of that was you had um, a woman checking herself into a clinic because she's got problems with her memory and then it becomes clear she's got early onset Alzheimer's so she's progressively getting worse and she meets a guy in there who's got a recovering from a, a stroke or something like that so he's progressively getting better so they have a relationship but they're both on, going on the opposite directions on the slide there's nothing about the uh, secondary characters around that that makes that interesting or not you can have it that works that relationship dynamic works yeah. Some, something like Iris there's that uh, heartbreaking scene about Two thirds of the way through, where you've you've seen uh, Dench slide, 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 and Broadbent just trying to keep it together, and then you realise, oh dear, he's got it as well, and uh, so it's if you if you've got a believable relationship at the centre of it, or an interesting dynamic between two people at the centre of it, I think it's completely irrelevant whether you can imagine lives with the secondary characters or not. Yeah, agreed. Mm. Um. I mean, it's like it's obviously Alzheimer's is an inevitable disease. Yeah. Once it's diagnosed, but yeah. I still wasn't really prepared for the severity 
of the film in how it details it. It's just, it's really devastating. <laughs> well, I think my issue with it was, it wasn't quite... Um, it lo- It's a bit like a more this, in that it's it l- lurches forward rather than um, giving you a smooth. There's very little concept of time. Yeah, that's yeah, it's definitely film. a negative, yeah. And um, so it, it, you don't get a... A, a detailed slide. You don't get a progression down. It's just suddenly, uh, suddenly she's much worse. And I think my real, the most disappointing thing with the film for me is that it consistently ignores the most interesting thing about the situation that it's creating. So it's a hereditary uh, strain, right? Yeah. And so she's going to pass. She she could pass it on to one of her kids. And so they take some of them take the test. Some of them do. Some of them have it. Some of them don't. And it's literally, oh, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry, and it's never brought up again. <laughs> and so you that, wanted, that, so you wanted more Kate Bosworth. No, I didn't want more Kate Bosworth. <laughs> As I said to you in my text, what get Kate Bosworth the fuck off my screen? <laughs> <laughs> well, that's you could you couldn't have that without Kate Bosworth back. <laughs> no, but that's probably why that isn't in there because they had Kate Bosworth. <laughs> they knew she couldn't handle it. <laughs> but it's 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 uh, I I find that uh, throughout it's just. It, it it shies away from the more interesting things, and I do think that it's uh, they've created this. Uh, it's another part of Aerosmith's Scott's review. I do agree with. It's like they've created this middle class perfect environment, and then just watch it watch the the diseases affect on everything. Yeah, but it's. I think what's quite honest and also scary about it is the fact that she needs so much of her brain uh, to do her job. Mm. And because it's like my mum's a teacher and she's in her 50s. And I think she'd find this film absolutely terrifying because mm. it's just, I mean, it's basically just dismantling everything you've worked for. Yeah. Never mind lived for, mm. you know? But it's like there are, there are scene, there's, a, uh, there's a scene where uh, Kristen Stewart asks her what it's like uh, when she can't remember stuff and what, what the effect of the disease is like. But they've been ignoring that for like the 20 or 30 minutes before. It's that you'll get to a scene and she'll be having a conversation with him, talk with, with uh, Baldwin, talking about it, and then just just say, "Oh, I forget the word," and then cut out. You don't get whether she's in that scene. It cuts out too early. You don't find out whether she's frustrated by this. You don't find out whether she's horrified by this. You don't. You never see her reaction because they cut out of it too soon because it's what they want to just keep it going, keep it going, keep it going. So when it mm-hmm. gets to a scene like that. It is well acted. It is well done. It's well, moderately insightful, but it would be more if you if you did more groundwork beforehand. And it just, oh, I think it's too refined. It's it's too. It's first, very refined. The whole, yeah. yeah, the whole film. Some of it's too written. Um, yeah, I have mixed feelings about the video message, just because. Again, more interesting side of it. Yeah, they I could, think they could have gone so many more interesting ways than they do with that. I think it's too conveniently stumbled upon. Um, yeah, it's crap the way that it happens. I mean, couldn't they just follow that out naturally and have her keep answering the questions? And when it comes to that day, go for it. it she just accidentally comes across it, and then oh, I'm going to do it. Why? That's not the point. We don't know if you've actually got to the point where the video meant you to do this. Yeah, but then I think her reaction to it. Is appropriate. I think it's realistic mm. when she eventually gets to the video. Yeah, but then it, then it's when it just turns into a bait and switch. It's so manipulative and ugh. It's, yeah. Yeah. I really didn't like it. And the thing is, couldn't you have 
uh, her. There's so many ways you could get her to find that. You could just see that because it's got under a t- under something called butterfly. She said that butterfly was reminds of her mother. She's just skipping through the computer one day. Ooh, what's that? Finds it. it. Would be so much better than the way that she actually did. Yeah. Or fi- have somebody else find it. That would be the really interesting thing. What, yeah, if, what, yeah. what if one of the children finds it? What if, uh, that, it's if so Kristen many, Stewart found it? Yeah, well. so many different ways they could have gone with this very same setup, which would have been far more interesting. But they just ignore. They just they're not interested in that. They're not interested in fleshing out and giving insight into all of the different um, uh, things that uh, this could bring. They just want. They just want to chronicle the the, the illness, and they don't do it in a detailed way. I think if we get onto the acting, mm. um, we'll yeah, let's start, finish the slagging the film. I want to start with <laughs> I want to start with um, we'll talk about Julian in a minute. I thought Kristen Stewart was really excellent. So the did scene, Scott. The scene where she's skyping mm. with Julianne and you see her so subtle reactions to the inconsistencies she's seeing in uh, the way that Julianne's. You know, behaving. I think mm. it's just really, incredibly realistic, mm. um, and just perfectly done. I liked I liked Kristen in this. I thought uh, Baldwin had nothing to do, and the character was just terrible, and mm. it was just really underdrawn, and the relationship was just naff. Uh, yeah. Again, well, what was re what I've been saying for the last five minutes uh, on that. Bosworth just can't act. Um, Hunter Parrish was good in Weeds, but he has nothing to do again. So it's just all on Julianne. Yeah, it just really is. I mean, and what? How good is it? How good is she? I think she's excellent, but yeah. um, I think it's. I think they're kind of like um, Arquette. I think there are false notes. I think the first scene where she she wakes up in the night with the. Uh, uh, with Baldwin, she has think, the panic attack. Yeah, I think it's overdone. I think it's out of the blue. I don't think it's. Uh, it. I think it wants to be. I don't know if you've seen this film yet. Probably not. I think it wants to be Liv Ullman in face to face, having her breakdowns out of no. But they they just sort of like surge up. Uh, it's just not bang suddenly there. It's happening. I think they could have learned a lot from um, a film like that, like Face to Face, in order to real figure out how to portray this. But then it's just directors. But no, she is excellent. Um, I think she, there's just so much nuance in there. Many levels, working on many levels. And she has to gauge, even with the passing of time not being marked very well in the film, she has to gauge the level of deterioration yeah. in the the character's mannerisms. Yeah. Um, I mean, that's the thing. I think the thing. I think she's excellent. I think this could have been better. I think she could have been better if she was just if they were just doing the things that we've been talking about to, to make the story better, it would make her performance better because she'd have more to do because there'd be uh, more emotion on it and I think there's not a tremendous amount of emotion on this and I think it relies on just hoping that it, I mean, I did cry at this film but yeah. it had absolutely nothing to do with the story nothing to do with the story, it just reminded me of something else Okay. they actually thought Bald- there was a moment with Baldwin um, that Made me tear up. I can't remember what it was now. Was it in a cafe or something? Um, yes. Um, the, there's the scene in the cafe where. Um, oh. Well, the, the good. Uh, there's the scene where she gets lost in her house, which. She... No, I think it's after that. I can't remember. Mm. But yeah. Oh uh, yes, oh, yeah. He takes her to the cafe, and it's opposite Columbia, and she doesn't recognise it. Oh uh, yeah. 
Okay. Um, B minus. I'm giving this. Um, what did I give this? <laughs> I think I gave this six out of ten, just because with it's a because it is a performance piece. The performance is excellent, and uh, that's it. Okay. All right. So now we're going to talk about um, 2014. Is it, so it's everything we've reviewed on the podcast in some form that's in 2014. New, that's new, so not like anything we put in the uh, Red Light District or anything like that. Nothing in Red Light District? Yeah, so, nothing, no, so it's not like, well, no, but n- not like um, something from the 50s. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? It's got to be from 2014. Ish, yeah. Or, or, yeah, yeah. yeah. Or Last Year Hangover that we haven't seen in January. Okay. Yeah. Are you? Do, are we just doing wins, or are, you, are we doing uh, noms? Well, we can do. We we'll do wins. Okay. Right. Because we do noms in a yeah, yeah, couple yeah. of weeks, won't we? Yeah. All right. So we're going to. So what's your number ten? Ten. I only did five. Oh, you did five. <laughs> okay. Oh, hang on. I can figure this out though. Um, uh, 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 hang on. What's my? I've got two. You see, I've got two. One's for the podcast 2014, and one's for 2014. So I could just add the others down. So I've got to go from right. So I've got to have five. Okay, my number ten is the drop. Okay, cool. Mm-hmm. My number ten is black coal thin ice, which ah yes, 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 was in my red light district, but it's from two thousand fourteen. Which is the Chinese Berlin uh, winner. Yeah, uh, number nine is tracks, which is sort of Venice. God, two ages ago. Yeah, so so long ago. <laughs> My number nine is after Tiller, which is the abortion um, documentary. Well, I thought it, I thought it was a, I thought it was something for um, uh, the spectacular now sequel to the spectacular now. Is, is name Tiller in that? Teller. Teller. Miles Teller. <laughs> <laughs> Um, number eight, the rover. Oh God. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> it's a terrible year. What can I say? Uh, my number eight is Caught. It's um, an Indian film which I saw at the London Film Festival. I think I mentioned it briefly. Yeah. Uh, which is about well, it's about a courtroom and the absolute lunacy of the Indian court process. Yeah. Uh, the Homesman. Excellent. Mm-hmm. And number seven is Bastards. Yes. Oh, we're counting that one. Oh, okay, that one would be in there then. Right. Uh, a Promise. Was that this year? Yeah. Okay. Um, number six is Her. Right. Good stuff. Right, so now I've got to skip down to my other one. I hope I haven't messed this up. Yes, okay. Uh, Jimmy P, number five. Okay. Twelve Years a Slave. Mm. Venus in Fur, number four. Nice. Mm. Boyhood, my number four. Right, Boyhood's my number three. By the way, uh, that the four or five sort of area, area is where I would have put Bastards if I'd have had it. Right, mm-hmm. okay. Uh, number three is Under the Skin. Right, number two, A Most Wanted Man. Nice. My number two is Leviathan. Mm. And one next goal wins. Okay. My number one is Inside Lewin Davis. Still. Ah. Still. Ah. <laughs> okay. Yes. All right, so... Our acting winners for this year. Oh god, it's so hard. Why? 
No, no, Duke is actor. I've got two absolutely fantastic performances that I think are excellent. Uh, my best actor is Guy Pearce and the Rover. Sorry, Phil. <laughs> <laughs> Mine is Oscar Isaac in Inside Lewin Davis. I haven't right. seen anything better since. Mm-hmm. Uh, my actress, again, it's so wafer thin, close. Sorry, Julie. I'm going with Catherine McCormack in The Fold. Wow. Okay. Um, I'm going with Anne Dorval in Mummy. Mm. Uh, she plays the mother of uh, Tearaway. She's fierce. Uh, sporting actor, this wasn't close. Ethan Hawke in Boyhood. Wow. I'm sticking with Michael Fassbender in 12 Years a Slave. Okay. Right. Uh, by the way, uh, uh, in, uh, just a shout out for Fares Fares and the Keeper of Lost Causes, I would have uh, nommed him. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, sporting actress, it's it's one of the two, but it's, it's not close. Uh, Imogen Poots, Jimmy, all is by my side. Wow. And my number one is Elena Leodolfer in the mm. Mm. Director? Director, I haven't had a look at this actually, yeah. um, but it would probably the Coens. be Jonathan Glazer in Under oh, right. Skin. <laughs> right, uh, Corbyn, Most Wanted Man. Excellent. So you think, yeah, because that's the, rather than the documentary, obviously. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Next Goal Wins Guys were like, it's Corbyn linked later than, than the Next Goal Wins Guys. Yeah. Okay. Alright, so, so what do we think about the year in general? I, um, think, it, I think it's a wasteland. <laughs> I, I think it's been so... Uh, I think, I'd like... If I, if I told you that in 2005, I had 15 films I gave 9 out of 10 to, and in this, for uh, when I was doing it earlier, I, I ran out of 7 out of 10s at 14 and above. It's just... I despair. I really do this year. I've just been, and I haven't got anything that isn't a documentary at five stars. I'm hopeful for the rest of what comes out over the next few months to try and save it, but I can't really see too much on the horizon that we haven't seen yet. Um, Maybe not Birdman. Birdman. That's next week. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I, I don't think this is a good year, but I did like last year. So, mm. okay. Shag, Mary Kill. Right, ooh, I haven't even thought about this. Uh, I would shag, as in watch again right now. Uh, Jimmy always by my side, because I'd like to see... Cause the, it's just an easy watch uh, with the music. Uh, I would marry, as much as for the rest of my life. Big Eyes. And I would kill Exodus, Gods and Kings, because that has the least reason to exist out of anything this week. Okay. This is difficult for me because I couldn't watch Still Alice every week. No, so I have or to sh- Unbroken. And I couldn't watch Unbroken every week either. <laughs> so I'd have to shag Still Alice, marry Big Eyes, yeah. even though I thought it was the worst of the week, yeah. and um, kill Unbroken. No, that sounds good. <laughs> um, okay, so the last Olsen factor ever. Yeah, we- because we're going to shift to Imogen Poots. <laughs> <laughs> We haven't decided whether it's going to be the Poots placement or the Pootsition. That Pootsition is quite good. Yeah. Right, so Big Eyes Amy is a monster Hathaway protocol. That, <laughs> that wig is ridiculous. <laughs> uh, Kristen Britton, nice but no. Uh, Exodus Gods and Kings, uh, Goldshifter Farahani. Ting! 
<laughs> Maria Falverde, <laughs> yes. Um, uh, Jimmy All is by my side. Hayley Atwell, yes. Redhead Hayley Atwell, she, even even though she's got a fringe, I don't care. Um, Poots, nice but no. And then Ooh. still Alice, I, uh, Julianne, yes. And it might be the oldest yes I've had. Julianne is a yes. Absolute stone cold yes. And uh, Kristen's a nice but no. So that is a... This is in her final week. It's the, probably her worst one ever. That is an awesome factor of five. Wow. Okay, bowing out on the low note. <laughs> All right. Imagine so... what Poots would have been. <laughs> <laughs> That's true, actually. Um, okay, so. Oh, here my bass was in God's, Exodus Gods and Kings. Is is that a yes or a no? No, it might have uh, been once upon a time. Age appropriate hotness. Okay, so the Isaac range. Um, I don't know if we're going to replace this. We'll, we'll might have to see. Um, big eyes. <laughs> well, Christoph no. Waltz is a no. No. Uh, Exodus Gods and Kings. I didn't see any. No. Would there have been anything there? Um, Joel, Joel, uh, Joel. Not. I don't think with the. I think you'd probably be more interested in Bale with the facial hair, surely. Okay. Unbroken. Now, Jack O'Connell is a yes for half of the film and a no for the other half. So this is my problem with Lizzie Olsen. I had wet Lizzie Olsen at the end of Godzilla and smoking Lizzie Olsen at the beginning of it. So I think you have to deal with it, sir. But this is, I mean, it's not just wet. We're talking about chapped lips. And, you know, he's lost. He looks like he weighs about five stone in some of this. Really? It's Rescue Dawn territory. <laughs> so, but the first half, he looks great. Right. So is that a 0.5 or is that a say do? Well, I've had to, you, you, well, basically consistency wins you the league, as we, as we came up with, isn't it? So it's a no. Yeah. It's a say do. Yeah. It's a say do for Jack O'Connell. Garrett Headland, however... <laughs> is a yes because he even when he's in the prisoner of war camp he looks fine Headland then Headland we could go with Headland um the Headland what though mm, we'll think something um still Alice Alec Baldwin would have been yes once upon a time but no mm. and I don't th- oh the sun hence a parish close but no mm. so it's a 2.0 on the range what could it be? What could Headland be? Garrett. This would be Jaded. Garrett. Uh, well, we'll, we'll think of something. Alright. Uh, we have a website. It's moveforpodcast.com. Mm. Uh, we're on Twitter at Move for Podcast, Facebook in the Move for Podcast. We're on iTunes, FeedBurner, Casts, Stitcher. Mm-hmm. And we'll have to get our January schedule up. Next week we have Birdman. Yes. We have the theory of everything. Yes, with my um, childhood friend. <laughs> <laughs> we'll get into that in more detail again next week. Probably, yeah. Yeah. We have Jake Gyllenhaal in Enemy, which is the, from Denny Villeneuve. <laughs> Great, that's going to be non-depressing. <laughs> I think he plays twins. Really. <laughs> And in, a... in the least Olivia de Havilland of ways. <laughs> well, <laughs> um, and there's also a film called Dying at the Light, which is Nicolas Cage, directed by Paul Schrader. So you don't fancy the woman in black, Angel of Death? Absolutely not. <laughs> <laughs>
Oh, there's also a re-release of an Eric Roma film called The Green Ray, which I've been trying to get you to watch for ages. Yes, you have. Mm. <coughs> okay, so what's your jam? My jam is Summer Guest by Asgir. By who? Exactly, he's Icelandic. Okay. My, you, you're going to hate me here, but my jam is uh, Night Changes by One Direction. No, I thought you were going to say Ollie Moores or... Uh... Sheeran, that would be hating you. This is just malcontent. <laughs> Who let the dogs out? Who, 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 who let the dogs out? Who, 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 who let the dogs out? Who, 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 who let the dogs out? When the party was nice, the party was bumping. Hey, and everybody having a ball. Until the fellas start the name calling. And the girls respond to the call. I have a poor one shout out. Who let the dogs out? Get back, Ruffy, get back, you play infest in Mongrel. 